filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster you want at alice's restaurant you can get anything you want at alice's restaurant Guys, I want to tell you about my Thanksgiving. More specifically, I want to tell you about the day after Thanksgiving when I made a leftover sandwich uh, that I think uh, beats any Thanksgiving meal. Uh, I kind of, I kind of, I disagree. I kind of wish that you don't know anything about my sandwich. Um, You don't know anything about my Thanksgiving meal. I know enough. You've talked about it already. You've told me some things. Um, You're just gonna have to wait and hear how delicious my smoked turkey was. Did you make a Thanksgiving sandwich? Yes. At Thanksgiving? Because you're talking about your Thanksgiving meal, and I'm talking about a Thanksgiving sandwich. No, I make make a smoked turkey that was basically like... I think I just won this argument. No, it (laughs) it was basically turkey bacon. It was turkey, but it had the flavor of bacon, and it was amazing. I mean, that's... Because I used apple wood to smoke it. That's really good, but it's not a sandwich. Um, this is this is the sandwich uh, sandwich show. I like how Jason has changed the parameters. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've, just, <laughs> you've just moved the goalposts. Like, not, th- this sandwich is better than any Thanksgiving meal, and only sandwiches count. <laughs> I didn't say only sandwiches count. I mean, that seemed to be you the argument the you're making. Show. I said this is the sandwich show. That's a different <laughs> argument altogether. No, before that, when you asked Ben, was it a sandwich? No, that right. I think well, I won this I'm argument. Is that, are you saying sandwiches are the highest form of food? I'm like saying the, that right now, yes. <laughs> uh, All right, that's an anyway. acceptable premise. Continue. Okay. I, 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 I do not, I do not, uh, I do not, uh, I do not, uh, ah, fuck it. You haven't met the deadline for a response, Ben. I'm nope. sorry. No, I haven't. Um, ben, words fail you. You're not doing very well in this one. I was going to use some lawyer term, but then I I couldn't pull it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is why you guys shouldn't give legal advice. <laughs> well, that's not the only reason we shouldn't give legal advice. It's just one of them. Maybe the best one, but maybe. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, obviously, I ate a pretty standard. Stipulate. Stipulate was what I was going for. <laughs> like a minute later. Um, yep. So the I had an limitations is run on that, Ben. Average Thanksgiving meal, uh, turkey stuffing. Uh, I made some Brussels sprouts with pancetta. Um, that turned out really well. Um, not that it's that hard or anything, but it's still a delicious thing to eat. Um, so ne- the, le- the next day, you've got your leftovers. And, of course, there's too much turkey, and you've got to challenge yourself. How am I going to get all this turkey eaten? Uh, at least if, you- if you're – Feed it to a 15-month-old. If you're set up like me where it's like I can't throw this food away, I've got to eat it. What am I going to do with it? Um, and so the first thing I did was I went to uh, there's a nice grocery store up the street. Uh, it's not a well, I guess it's it's a small chain. It's the Fresh Market. Um, Fresh Market. We have those in Richmond and in Ohio. We have them okay. in Indiana. Like my dad worked. Fresh at Market. For a time. If you're if you're uh, listening to the show, please send us money. Um, <laughs> so I, I I went there to get bread because the last time I went to the local Amish market to get bread, it went bad literally within 24 hours of the purchase of the bread. Um, 
which is an unacceptable short amount of time. I'm not going to eat an entire loaf of bread in 24 hours by myself. Amish. Um, Th- that sounds like your problem. Yeah. I would I'm love to have a show Amish on this one. Okay. At some point, we're going to have a show where the three of us have, we purchase a loaf of bread and have 24 hours and whoever <laughs> finishes the most bread is the winner. And finish first is also a, a, a qualifier. Um, no vomiting, as always, with any gluttony <laughs> challenge. No vomiting is one of those. Anyway. That, that um, was the rule in our high school milk chug contest. Well, that was also a rule in um, any game of uh, 40 hands. That's how you actually be, become declared the winner. Uh, it's not just who finishes the 40, but you've got to keep you've got to keep it all down for half an hour um, or else you lose. We should never take a week off again. We have too many, too many stories to tell. Anyway, um, I made a sandwich. Uh, it was really good. It was shredded turkey uh, with extra sharp cheddar uh, with uh, some pancetta from the leftover. Uh, I took that out and sprinkled it on um, to give it that that salty note that I wouldn't have gotten from my standard cooked turkey. Uh Maybe maybe if I had some of Ben's smoked turkey, I could have elevated the sandwich a little more. I, I don't know, because I wasn't invited to Ben's Thanksgiving. Thanks, Ben. Um, I added a thin slice of the canned uh, cranberry sauce, because the a standard cranberry sauce, it's going to kind of want to run off the thing, whereas that uh, sliced version actually holds up just long enough for you to eat your sandwich. Um, I'm, I'm not a partisan on that cranberry sauce debate. I think they're both very good and would eat them if you serve them to me. Um, but uh, no, it was a pretty great sandwich. I, I, I used a lot of butter uh, on thick slices of bread and made this crispy, delightful sandwich. And after that, I felt like Thanksgiving had officially uh, been completed only the day after uh, with a sandwich and not with the actual Thanksgiving meal. So we actually just went to a friend's place. We made like an appetizer and brought wine and then made it a point not to bring any app, any leftovers home, even though they offered us Tupperware. Our friends are wonderful and they offered us their own Tupperware because they wanted to get rid of leftovers and wanted to make sure we had plenty of food, which we already had in the house. Somehow, despite not buying food for Thanksgiving, we ended up with so much food in our refrigerator. We didn't have anybody over. We didn't plan it this way. It just happened. And we, we just needed to get rid of, we didn't want any more leftovers. Uh, and so Thanksgiving was just, as far as the food, was just Thanksgiving night. And it was wonderful. It was fantastic. Our, our friends cooked a delicious turkey. Um, some other friends made some outstanding sides. Uh, and our, our, our daughter had her first real sit down at the table and eat turkey with everyone Thanksgiving, which was a lot of fun. Um, it was really about the whole long weekend this time. Um, for us, we went ice skating, took our daughter ice skating for the first time. She pushed a penguin oh, around. Really, I pushed I a penguin around with her in between me and the penguin. Like an you actual ice skating? penguin? Not a real penguin. It was more oh. like a three foot tall. Let's say, what, what sort of bizarre place is this? Like, come here and shove a penguin around some ice. You haven't seen these? There's like penguins there on these like when, bases. When that, would I have been at a thing like this? I don't know. Clearly, walking is this walking by any... It's it's a ice rink for anyone right next to Nats yeah. Park, and they have them at other ice rinks as well. I don't go past any ice rinks. I think that's the issue here. I'm not. I don't live near an ice rink. I'm terrible at ice skating, and I I still enjoy it from time to time. Somehow I haven't been ice skating in like nine years until this past weekend, and um, <laughs> thankfully, uh, for for my body, my daughter was 
you know, as a three-year-old, didn't have a lot of endurance to skate for a long time. She was done pretty quickly, which means mm-hmm. that my muscles didn't get worn out <laughs> and I didn't scream at me for three days afterwards. Um, as I recall happening last time I went skating, like nine years ago. Ben, you hate ice skating? Yeah, I'm bad at it. And unlike you, I don't like it. And my wife also doesn't like it. And so we don't do it. Southerners, man. I used to be really good at ice skating because I would rollerblade to deliver papers on my paper. I didn't use a bike. Uh, Rollerblades were a little easier. Um, And so it meant I was also really good at ice skating and fast compared to everyone, which is cool because I was very slow running. Um, So I had an advantage for once. Talking about ice skating just reminded me the night before Thanksgiving was um, kind of incredible. Um, Josh Ehrlich, who who runs the Ehrlich Law Office, and I um, came into some tickets for a suite at the Verizon Center for the Caps Senators game, and they had a whole Caps giving theme going for the night. The uh, video wipe for all the transitions on the scoreboard was a Zamboni gravy boat. <laughs> we called it the gravy wipe. It was disturbing and wonderful. They had a like a Snapchat filter where everyone's face when they pan the crowd had a turkey, you know, turkey stuff around it. Right. And then said, pay attention for mites on ice. If you like these turkeys, you're going to be in for something more. And I said, I really hope all the kids are dressed as turkeys. And they were. It was wonderful. A bunch of little kids skating around as turkeys playing hockey. The best part, though, Slapshot, their mascot, had a fork and a knife and was skating around chasing the little turkeys, trying to eat them. That's pretty good. <laughs> the kids looked legitimately terrified. It was wonderful. He is uh, like a six foot tall eagle with human with, traits. Yes. He's more <laughs> anthropomorphic than than Talon is in some ways, and also more aggressively styled, I would say, than Talon. Yes. Um, yes, definitely. He was dressed up as a p- pilgrim. Like they replaced his cap sweater with pilgrim garb, including a hat. It's still his yes. face is still very uh, linear and aggressive. Um, but that that game was a lot of fun. Uh, check my Twitter. I retweeted the whole story that that Josh put out there. It was it was an incredible night, not just for the hockey. The hockey was good and the caps were very good in it. But the everything around the hockey was was just spectacular is a great way to kick off thanksgiving and now that we're 10 minutes into the show i i should really say hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united and turkey sandwich and ice skating and kids dressed as turkeys podcast i'm adam taylor joined as always by jason anderson and ben bromley we're all from blackandredunited.com where we cover soccer not hockey not turkey uh not other thanksgiving related things tonight we uh we kind of have a an open show where we're not really talking about the playoffs that are ongoing without the black and red uh we're gonna break down what because they're been, weirdly scheduled they they are weirdly scheduled um maybe we can get into that when in the twitter box if we have more time or maybe we'll wait till next week who knows uh maybe we'll never get to talking about the mls schedule that would be pretty fitting somehow i'm not sure why but i think it would be Tonight, though, we are talking about uh, possibly, well, well, definitely the biggest day as far as DC United's uh, roster goes in 2017. We're going to do some cake or death because we have we have two weeks worth of cake or death 
to to hand out. That's where we uh, decide whether we want players back for next year, one by one through the roster, alphabetical order. No middle ground. Either you want a player back or you don't. Everything is decided in a vacuum because, damn it, that's how real life is. Wait, something's not right about that. Anyway. You left out the parts about the goat and the fox. No, no, I didn't. I did not leave that out. Well, you did. Uh, after the break, we are going to open up the Twitter box. We have a lot of good, some weird, not as much weird as I was wanting, but there's a little bit of weird in there. And so I'm going to go with it. Uh, we're going to answer your questions in the Twitter box before we do anything though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? Well, since I didn't get any time to talk about my Thanksgiving, um, I will only, uh, burden you with one story, which is that. Uh, whenever my father comes to visit us, he always brings over a 12-pack of Dos Equis. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, and then he proceeds to drink none of it because he doesn't like beer that much. He drinks wine, and they also bring wine, and he drinks wine, and that's fine and dandy. But then I'm always left with a unopened 12-pack of Dos Equis lingering right now it's just on my porch because we don't even have fridge space for it and it's cold enough outside that stays cool enough outside and if uh local hooligans want to come and steal the dos Equis off my porch then well you know that's the way that's the way it works all right richmond hooligans you know where to find a 12 pack of dos Equis, so well you don't because you <laughs> i'm not giving out my address well if any of you know ben and want dos Equis, you know where to find it there you go i'm looking at you Daryl and Taylor. So are you drinking Dosa Keys tonight? Yes. Okay. I've, I've, I've got to get rid of it somehow. I've right. That say. actually brings us that we'll, we'll do this a little out of order. There actually was a Twitter box question about this from, from our, our friend Jake Catness up in new England, who asked if you're going to kill that 12 pack of Thanksgiving Dosa Keys on the show. And I think that's a fair question. Are you going to drink all 12 of those beers tonight? No, not because of alcohol content, but just because of pure calories. You can always find another 5K to run or half marathon. I I think I would need to run at least a 10K if I drank all 12 Dos Equis in one night. Well, then find a 10K. No, thank you. I'd rather just not. Yeah, I'd rather just not drink all 12. I'd just rather not drink all 12 Dos Equis tonight. That's... It's a Monday night as we record. That's probably a responsible <laughs> yeah. decision. I I do kind of like it. imagining like Ben having to answer for this uh, tomorrow when the the true cost of his actions would come to bear. Um, <laughs> at, at which point it will be the alcohol content, not the calories. Right. Well, I mean, it would be like Ben's wife would be like, "Why did you drink twelve beers?" Um, <laughs> An unusual choice, at the very least, an unusual choice. Uh, ben might be hungover and have to go to work and then deal with that. Um, be like, what's wrong with you today? I drank 12 beers last night. That's what's wrong with me. And then <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not something I'm going to say to my work people. Why not? Yeah, Don't you believe in honesty? <laughs> Jake, why are you making Ben lie at work? Yeah, Jake. What kind of friend I, are you? I... I insist that if Ben does drink the 12 beers for some reason, he tell people up front bluntly that he did it and he doesn't have a good reason why. It doesn't have to be unprovoked, but if they I ask what's wrong. a satisfactory answer. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to go in and yell it to everybody. But if someone's like, you seem off today, like, well, that's because I drank 12 beers last night. 
And then is there any? Is there ever it. a satisfactory reason to drink twelve Dos Equis in one night? Because uh, you like to have fun. <laughs> Look, I've been through a few case races in my time, <laughs> and sometimes um, it's just you have to do it to have fun. If you're going to be the most interesting man in the world, please do so responsibly. Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm not drinking 12 beers uh, before anyone asks um, or anyone thinks it. If you're listening, don't ask out loud. I can't hear you from wherever you're listening to the show um, unless you're uncomfortably close to me, in which case g- give me some space. Um, I have, Hello, Jason. I have uh, a beer called The Cask. It is by Raven Beer. It's inspired by... Uh, they have a bunch of beers that are inspired by the works of Edgar Allan Poe. If you can't tell, this is a Baltimore-produced beer. Um, so was this finished in Amontillado casks or something? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I can't remember what it's finished in, but it is finished in something or other. Um, I've, I read it, and then that information is gone. It's not on the bottle. Um, but it's a uh, it's a dark Bach uh, beer, um, and it's pretty outstanding i've got to say um mostly i got it because i wanted something that wasn't um a stout or a porter but still dark um and i hadn't had this yet but uh yeah if you can track it down it's got a the logo is purple and it has edgar Allan poe holding a beer um it says the cask um if you can find it get a hold of it because it's really really good first off ben thank you for laughing at my edgar Allan poe deep cut uh Second. Is it really a deep cut? Cask of Amontillado no. is pretty well known. Yeah, the, bottle, the bottle has a line uh, from the Cask of Amontillado on it. Okay. I I would like it even more if like the bottom half of Edgar Allan Poe's portrait was bricked over. That would uh, be... there, are, there are actually a couple bricks like next to the portrait um, okay. with a, um, a uh, mason's uh, trawl with uh, a little bit of um, the stuff that joins the bricks that the name is now escaping me right when I need to say mortar. mortar. Um, yeah. So there's some mortar on the trawl. Uh, so yes, there, the, there's been some attention paid to the, the idea of, uh, bricking somebody in. All right. I approve of this. I remember in high school, we listened to a recording of somebody reading it and they got really into the dialogue in the cask of Amontillado. That was, it haunts me actually. Uh, I'm drinking something of a, a throwback for for longtime listeners of Filibuster who pay um, honestly creepy close attention to to what we drink. It's uh, a cocktail I made up back in 2011, 2012. I think 2012 was, that when was it. The it it is actually uh, with rye whiskey. I, I didn't have any simple syrup, so I muddled uh, a sugar cube because I have sugar cubes, but not simple syrup in my house right now. Uh, I muddled a sugar cube with some orange bitters, poured some rye and a sprig of rosemary, shook it up violently for a short time and strained it into a cocktail glass. And it's it's pretty good cocktail. It's did you know, for, while, while you were shaking it violently. Did you uh, for some reason? I injured my shout, leg, actually. Oh, I was going to ask if you shouted uh, for God's sake, Montresor. No, I did not. I, I did not get okay. into the cask of Amontillado before uh, this show started. Uh, I I made that earlier. I, I had it in my head our our former time to start recording because I was actually on the ball for once this week, um, and so I made it you know a good 
20 minutes, half an hour before we actually started recording. So I finished it um, as we were, were actually starting to record and then grabbed a beer. So I, I get two drinks this week. I'm drinking now Star Hill Brewery Snowblind Doppelbach out of. Oh, uh, I love that beer. It's a good beer. Uh, I've had that on this show before. Out of I don't Charlottesville. Think I've had that, but I'm into, I'm into Doppelbachs. Yeah, it's. It, it really is a good snowbound beer. And apparently here in a couple weeks, we could on the East Coast be locked into a a pattern that was last seen in this area the winter of uh, 2009-2010, which was when we got Snowmageddon and Snowpocalypse. Yes. So uh, I have a shoulder injury to this day that is related to shuffling for too long uh, and being too ambitious. Well, we're 20 minutes into the show. And just getting through, what are you drinking? Maybe we'll do that. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? Let's talk some soccer. Yeah. All right. Let's talk soccer. We spent the last couple of shows before Thanksgiving talking about what went wrong for DC United in 2017. And TLDR, TLDL, I guess. Too long, didn't listen. It was a lot. Um, so much so that it's really easy to forget or overlook possibly the most consequential day in recent DC United history, at least on the field. I, I would say that the groundbreaking at Buzzard Point is possibly the most consequential uh, for the organization. But as far as the soccer playing on the field, um, August 10th, 2017, was was a bit of a watershed moment. It started like any other Thursday, except that DC United had been linked to names like Gary Medell and Christian Nemeth and Nigel DeYoung. And I recognize one of those names is not like the other, but that's okay. Uh, nobody saw this coming on transfer deadline day 2017 for DC United. By the end of it, they had signed uh, Paul Ariola, Zoltan Stieber, Russell Knauss and Bruno Miranda. Uh, it was the biggest outlay of cash in one day in, or even on one player in, in the organization's history. And it was uh, the first time in, in recent memory that DC United stole headlines for player signings from the more traditionally splashy teams in MLS. And, and it was, it was something different but it was also DC United potentially turning a page. And we have yet to see if they're going to build on this. But I want to talk about that day and and talk about those players uh, in this first segment today. So uh, let's start with Paul Ariola. He was he was really the, the headline grabber of the group, uh, mostly because he's a U.S. national team player who, who started in a couple of really consequential games um, and had a great gold cup. He was playing for Cholos in Liga Emekis and uh, came to DC United with, I think, the largest transfer fee the team has ever paid out oh, yeah. for it. By, by a and lot. By a lot. That On top of that, they also paid half a million dollars in Gam and Tam to the LA Galaxy because MLS, because he spent five minutes in their academy and MLS decided to reward that. Um. And then also paid him a around a million dollars in salary. So really, really big. The team really wanted Paul Ariola, and you know early returns were pretty good from him. Maybe not million dollar good, but this 
this end of 2017 was really more of a preseason. And we said that for, for the back half of the season. So Jason thoughts on, well, overall on, on that deadline day and, and on Paul Ariola in particular. Uh, I mean, on the, the day itself was, uh, it was a strange one for us. I mean, all, all three of us, uh, were very busy that day. Um, trying to get all these stories in line, uh, keep track of everything that was going on. Um, the fact that there was a, there was the opening open training session and the uh, press conference as a result of it, that was a, a pretty surreal thing to see going on. Um, I know Adam, you, you got a, um, a personal front row seat to the, uh, Hungarian ambassadors trying to figure out how to get out of the RFK parking lot. Um, yes. I got uh, to help them. Yes. Find uh, their way out. Because uh, they were basically lost back there for a while. Um, yeah, it was the whole thing was from start to finish, like surreal in a good way, which was a rare thing for DC United. There was a lot of surreal in a bad way in 2017. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the whole thing, seeing uh, this much of a commitment, uh, seeing, you know, the, the various things going on, the Gary Medell story kept kept going for quite a while. Um the price, the price figures that were involved in that got really, really, really high. Um, may, it might be best off that they didn't go that route because they ended up with Russell Canals for a lot less money. Um, and he ended up being a really excellent acquisition as well. Um, but it, yeah, Paul Ariola. I mean, it's a signal to me that this is the direction the team wants to go in with um, younger designated players. They don't want necessarily the NYCFC or LA galaxy teams of the past model where they're signing a guy who's 32 or 33. Um, they want someone who's going to get better. Um, and obviously they, it, it might be a situation where Ariola's is here for, you know, two seasons and then someone else comes along and, and pays a transfer fee. Um, but if you're looking at the health of the organization, that's also a better bet than, you know, signing, uh, the Robbie Keens of the world who might sell a lot of jerseys, but you're never going to recoup your outlay for that player uh, in terms of the transfer fee or anything like that. Um, and that player's not going to get better. You're, the day you sign him is going to be his best, the best he's ever going to be. And it's just going to get worse from there because when you're in your thirties, it stops being easy to play soccer very well. Um, so, you know, from that side, I think it's a, it's a, a sign of intent, just like um, signing Lucho, uh, was a similar kind of thing where they spent seven figures on a player who is still eligible to play in the Olympics. Not that Lucho is necessarily in line to play for the Argentine Olympic team, but uh, they could pick him because of the Olympic soccer tournaments an under 23 tournament. Um, Ariola is the same kind of thing. He's with the national team, which um, at the time was a very good thing. Now everyone is uh, everyone that's attached to the national team has a, a stigma on them, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily to, no, there isn't too much blame being put on Paul Ariola. Um, that was well yeah, at, at the time he was like he was a Gold Cup starter and a regular team uh, in the uh, in the mix. But if he had been a starter the full time for the uh, senior team, things he, they may not have gone a different way. But he was not to blame for them not qualifying. Right, but he he had become a starter for the full national team uh, after the Gold Cup. Um, he started both of those final two qualifiers because in part, because arena wouldn't rotate, but we don't want to relitigate that. Um, no. he, he's the 
player who made the most of that gold cup opportunity. Right. And, and he's a, that's an easy argument to make. He's a, a force multiplier uh, for DC United. Um, his speed is uh, a big asset for a team that previously had virtually none. Um, uh, he, his relentlessness fits the profile of what DC United wants perfectly, which in years past DC United, when they've gone out and spent big money on a player, uh, they haven't signed guys that fit the program. Um, Bronco Boscovich, as much as we loved him, um, Hamdi Salihi, those guys didn't really fit the way that Paul Ariola fits. Because if anything, Ariola might be the most uh, obviously hardworking player on the team. Um, and that relentlessness really contributes to how I think Ben Olsen wants his team to play. If you know when he ha- if he if he had a team that was so good that he could drop the pragmatism and play how he would like to play in a dream scenario. I think the, it would be like 10 Ariolas and, and a Bill Hamid um, would be kind of the mindset you would end up with. Um, so yeah, I think he fits the bill perfectly for what the team needs. Um, his finishing wasn't very good. Uh, he did get that final goal, but um, before that he mostly missed some very good chances though. Some of them were like, him hurling himself at the ball and getting hit in midair and still managing to make contact. Um, so it's a little, it's not necessarily that it was a poor shot. It was that he, you know, through his fearlessness ends up getting decked by some larger man and can't quite control his body while he's hurling himself towards the ball. Um, but I, I think there's an infectiousness to that. Um, I think that not just his work rate, making everyone else around him better, but that attitude um, that, that willingness to go the extra mile, but also like there's a real positivity. Ariola got knocked around and would still bounce up and not, he wasn't, you know, in a shoving match. He wasn't angry with the referee. He's just like, all right, it's fine. I, I want to foul. That's the part of the job. Um, and he got on with it. And I think that that attitude catching on would be very good for DC United. Um, I was also impressed that he wanted to be, you know, he left Sholos as a starter, but he wanted to be not just a starter on the team. He wanted to be a big a big factor uh, for the team he was at. He wanted to be a guy whose name is up in lights that, you know, the team is depending on to come through week in and week out. And uh, that's, that's the kind of challenge you want to see players embracing. You don't want to see them saying, you know, I have to carry this team on my back because I can't trust anyone. Um, He's coming at it from a very positive perspective, which is like, I need to challenge myself uh, not just as a soccer player, but in terms of leadership, in terms of responsibility. Um, and I think he's shown all the signs that he can make that happen. Um, if this team had a little bit more going forward, uh, I think he would have finished the season with more than the one goal, two assists that he ended up with. I think he could have um, put up some decent numbers uh, in the short amount of time that he was here. And it was just down to uh, DC United wasn't very good at scoring goals. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, next year, obviously, the expectations raise, but I think he's going to meet them. And I want to say I have no problem with a player coming in here and and kind of saying, I want to be a leader for DC United while I'm here, but also I want to move on to a bigger league. I want to move on to Europe. And part of DC United's pitch to Paul Ariola was, listen, if Europe comes calling and we get a good offer for you, we're going to sell you. We're going to get the cash for you. And I have no problem with that being attractive to a player. Um, as much as I love Bill Hamid, who who came up through the youth system and uh, turned down opportunities until this year to to go abroad, 
that was always something he wanted. And I have no problem with that kind of ambition for a player in our academy or a player coming in at 22 in the case of Paul Areola. Next name on the list from, from deadline day, Zoltan Stieber, uh, Hungarian international came over on what turned out to be a free transfer, though apparently DC United had been willing to pay a seven figure or close to seven figure transfer fee for him. Um, the reporting was originally that they were paying a million dollars transfer to his club in Europe uh, to to get him over here. And then all of a sudden it, it, that transfer fee vanished and he was on a free transfer after mutually terminating his contract in Europe. I have no idea what actually happened there that led to that, but um, you know, good for DC United getting a player for free that they thought they were going to have to pay seven figures for. Ben, what did you make of, of Zoltan's addition to the team out on that left wing? Yeah, I think it's a lot like Paul Ariola. I think that the way the team was in August and September and the way a lot of the players who were on the team were already so run down by the uh, bad form and the, uh, and the awful season, I think that both of them are so good that they might be so, uh, far enough above the level of some of the other players on the team that they didn't even weren't even able to show how good they can be just because they were thinking on a different level from the rest of the team. And so having this preseason and having this off season to get everybody on the same page is going to be key to uh, maximizing and un- unlocking the potential of all of these players for DC United coming into next year. So, uh, Stieper was really good. Uh, he scored a, an amazing goal. Uh, he looked confident on the ball. He put in some great uh, through balls that were uh, close and should have been run onto, but for, but for uh, the team's woeful uh, striker play uh, until the very end. But I'm excited to see, see what both Stieper and Ariola can do next year with a full off season, with hopefully some more new signings and a new, a fresh start for the entire team. The most exciting thing for me, and I've said this multiple times on the show in the past for, for Zoltan, the most exciting thing for me is that he and Lucho, there were moments where they saw the game exactly the same way. Uh, He almost scored what would have been the team's goal of the season on um, what would have been in a, a Rabona assist from from Lucho and they they both just saw the ball pop into space and reacted with a shared brain essentially with Zoltan with with Stieber running into space and and Lucho running onto the ball and and hitting a Rabona of all things to to put the ball exactly where Zoltan needed it uh couldn't finish that chance but it was so much fun to watch and I want to see more of that Stieber was great in the open field especially and if United can get out on the break which during a huge road trip, uh, playing on the counter isn't necessarily a bad strategy. Uh, that could be fun next year. Uh, Russell Knaus is the next name on the list. American Youth International uh, came over from Germany um, and basically immediately won all the soccer nerds' hearts in D.C. And uh, I think all three of us are very much included in that. He locked down that defensive midfield position in a way that we hadn't seen since Perry Kitchen left. Uh, 
was able to play both sides of the ball possibly better than than Kitchen in in some categories. Uh, his tackling was great. His uh, possession retention was really good, and also he could hit the ball uh, with a forward pass when the situation called for it. It was he's he seems to be po- like he seems to be exactly what DC United needed in that position, and he's a young guy to boot. Uh, on a reasonable contract, and I, I see no reason why he he shouldn't be there, uh, especially if he improves for a long time to come. Uh, anything to add, you guys, on Canals, or should we just leave it as unfiltered praise? I mean, there there isn't really any knock on, on Canals. Um, I think he was the the only negative thing I have to say is like what took DC United so long uh, to to get someone for the job. Um, yeah. But I mean, maybe, maybe it was, they had their heart set on, maybe they had their heart set on canals and couldn't make the deal until the summer. I don't know. Um, that's just speculation off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, he, he was clearly what the team needed. Um, someone who is much more comfortable in possession in those deep spots than anyone that was on the roster at the time. Um, he was able to come up with the, the uh, amount of, just in general, you need to come up with a certain quantity of turnovers forced or or passes uh, from the opponent sent astray, all, all that stuff. You've got to be able to get the ball back for your team one way or another. Um, the fact that he was able to do that without committing a ton of fouls, without being bad on the ball, um, he seemed to get his role in the system right away. Um, he actually en- ended up even getting forward on a couple different uh, – it was. It seemed like once a game he would produce one dangerous run that turned into, uh, at least there was an own goal, and I believe there was also a goal scored by somebody else that came via that that started with um, Canals making the run from deep, um, and he made those runs at times where it didn't. He wasn't exposing DC United, um, so it's the perfect combination of being dangerous in the attack without giving up anything going the other way. Um, I think he he actually boosted the team more than anyone else that was signed in the window, though with the obvious caveat that the other starters on the wing, while they weren't, you know, United definitely needed to upgrade in those spots, but um, that need was much bigger. Um, Landon Canals was a, a huge deal. It was like, if they're going to do one thing in this transfer window, they've got to take care of defensive midfield um, because they needed to coming in. So, um taking care of it in such a good way and with a younger player, I think his salary figure is, is just a 26 or a 2017 figure. It'll go up next year, um, but he'll deserve it. Um, and, and getting someone that is, you know, like Travis Wara, he grew up with um, in, in Southern Pennsylvania. He grew up as a fan of DC United. Um, that, that helps on some level that counts towards something. I mean, obviously you want good players before you're looking at what, what, club they support but it helps when they're good and they also happen to support your team growing up um yeah just all around it, it looks like he's already fitting in as as someone who could be maybe not the absolute face of the team which is still going to be Ariola at this point um but someone who could be definitely a player we hear more from it's not just a guy on the team um there was a tweet that went out during thanksgiving where the, the team had a um uh, helping feed the needy event and uh, Canals was there with Talon. He was being lifted up by Talon at one point. Um, it's the little things um, as much as it is the big things. And, and I think it helps on, on all sides that 
he's that kind of guy, it seems like. Um, but I mean, the main thing on the soccer side is just that uh, this team was significantly better uh, once he arrived. Uh, and it was a result of having a proper number. There's a weird debate where there, people are saying they're not sure if he's an eight or a six. I think it's clear. Uh, I don't think there's any confusion here that he is a number six. Um, he might be able to play as an eight. Um, I'd like to see whether that's possible, but in terms of where he should start games, he absolutely is starting number six on this team for, and, and possibly for years. Yeah. I'd honestly rather see him start as a lone number six than as a number eight next to somebody else playing as the the defensive right. midfielder. If I honestly, I, I was a big fan of the four, one, four, one DC United ended 2016 <sighs> with, um, and if Canals lets us, let's Ben Olsen go back to that, then I, and, and it works, then I think that just pay him whatever it takes to keep him here because that is a, a hard position and he's a young guy and an American who is doing a, a difficult position very well. The last name on the list and the last name we'll talk about before we get to a break because we are 40 minutes into this segment is Bruno Miranda. Uh, Bolivian, full international now, um, came on loan for the end of 2017 and all of 2018. So we'll we'll get to see him more next year and uh, get to see whether he he gets made his his transfer becomes a, a permanent transfer. Uh, forward slash outside midfielder winger. Um, didn't see a lot of him this year, but. You know, that's that's to be expected. He's a young guy. What? He's 19. Is that right? Uh, he might have turned 20 yeah. by now, but but he signed at 19. Yeah. So young guy, I think we'll, we'll see more of him off the bench. And when squad rotation has to be a thing uh, in 2018, but more a guy for the future, kind of in incomplete, I would say, in in 2017 uh, compared to the other guys who arrived on on decision day. But you know, DC United has a, a good history with Bolivian internationals. So that doesn't mean he's going to work out, but it's at least kind of fun to think about adding to that tradition. Um, I am not in a place where I can really say much more about his game. Jason, I'm sure you are. Um, it, I, I was interested, at least a little bit. I was interested in Miranda's uh, start because when he came in, um, I can't remember his first appearance. I, th- I want to say it was against the Revs um, in the, the one nothing win with that included the uh, near Rabona assist goal. Um, but he immediately showed um, not just speed. We knew coming in from the press conference, they were talking Dave Casper said he broke a couple team physical testing records as far as, so he didn't specify which ones, but they were athletic metrics. You have to assume speeds in there. Um, so we knew he was going to be fast. Um, but what I liked was that he was very to the point with the ball. Um, he was immediately running at people. He was immediately challenging defenders and making them deal with the fact that he's that kind of player, that he's fast. He wasn't waiting for the perfect moment. He was saying like, I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to run at you and I'm faster than you. And you're going to have to deal with that. Um, which was good. It put the, the, the opposing defense on the back foot. Um, there's still some rawness in terms of the technical, uh, the technical quality on the ball. Um, more so the decision-making, I think, um, in certain moments that he ended up 
maybe not walk, maybe walking himself into more trouble than he needed to, that kind of thing. Um, but he's a young player. Of course, that's going to happen. Um, we did get one look at him as a uh, forward, maybe two looks at him uh, as a uh, lone forward, um, which were not wasn't a great sign for Deshaun Brown's future with the team um, that he was getting those looks instead. Um, I, unfortunately, I think against the Red Bulls, he came in and, and was playing uh, after the red card to Acosta. Um, so it's hard to tell much because he's just sort of stuck by himself up there running around. But um, I think there's something there. Um, I, I think that Bolivia didn't give him three caps uh, out of generosity. I think that they've got high hopes. Um, and I think that it's it's good that he got to spend some time here, get acclimated, and now gets to spend the 2018 season making his uh, sell uh, for staying on the roster permanently. Um, it's uh, maybe I feel more optimistic about his long-term prospects than I did a- after 10 or so games of uh, Jose Ortiz, uh, who I think by that point we knew wasn't going to stick. Um, I think Miranda's got a better chance of, uh, of actually winning a permanent contract at the end of the, at the end of next year. And he has to feel good because, uh, like we said, it, it seems unlikely that Deshaun Brown is coming back. Uh, by the time you listen to this, he, uh, the announcement of whether or not he is coming back may have been made. Um, but he'll he'll probably be competing with Patty Mullins and for the primary backup position, and he'll also be competing for the primary backup position at both wings. So it looks like he has a lot of opportunity to prove himself. He just has to go out there and make the best of it. And just to loop back around at the beginning of, of this segment, deadline the transfer deadline day was a really big deal for DC United. Jason called it surreal, and I think that's exactly right. Um, I, I wasn't able to really contribute much to the writing of articles, but I was on you know our, our group chat with, with you guys sitting outside of uh, a DC DMV while my wife got her license renewed. And I was pushing a stroller around, just like glued to my phone, frantically typing messages, trying to and and also trying to keep my newborn son asleep in the stroller. And just the the whole experience was is just seared into my mind. There at the if you live in D if you live in DC, the DMV next to the Rhode Island Avenue Metro, I was just walking around in a circle there for hours because the DMV was really really slow. And I was just glued to everything that was happening. And I I think DC United has more work to do to cement this as a real watershed moment in in the club's history. But assuming they do what they need to this offseason, signing a striker, a center back, spending some real money, this midseason deadline continuing day. Continuing to spend some real money. Yeah, continuing yeah. to spend some real money. That's right. Um this secondary transfer window in 2017 is going to go down as the the beginning or or at least as a a break from the past in a good way and i really hope that that's the case because if so then then things could be fun going forward and i i really like it when things are fun i like fun you guys i don't know if you like fun i like fun the the concept yes the band no I actually kind of enjoy the band. Yeah. I saw them at Meriwether Post. It was guys. Fun. We're forty six minutes in. <laughs> we don't need to talk about fun. The band. 
So let's end this segment. Um, we will be right back to talk about some cake or death and to open up the Twitter box. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. back to filibuster the black and red united podcast it's time now for everyone's favorite segment cake or death this is nope cake or death i give the name this is fox (laughs) this is when we go through the entire roster player by player alphabetical order with uh no quarter no no mercy and we decide whether we want that player back for next season. We've been doing it for a long time here. I think it actually predates this podcast as an exercise. In fact, I think I'm it sure predates it this predates, website. Yes. I'm sure it predates this podcast. It predates the website. It wasn't always called cake or death. It's actually not officially called cake or death now. Um, but I love our commenters on black and red United who keep it going. Um, the first name this week is a holdover from uh, our last show. Is this a lightning show. round or not quite a lightning round? I think it's not quite a lightning round. Not that we really honored the lightning round. Sorry, lightning round last time. Lightning round! We had a lightning round. Uh, this can be, you know, we, we have a few minutes to to spend on this. I don't, this, this first name is going to be, uh, is going to warrant, I think, some conversation. We'll see. Um, but we have 10 names to get through. So consider this a semi-lightning round, a lowercase lightning round, if you will. Not an all-caps lightning round like we usually do. Does that work for you guys? It's not very lightning-like to ask us what we think. That's a good point. First name this week, Sean Franklin. Right back slash failed center back. Yeah, I said it. Uh, started the season uh as an experimental center back, the idea was that DC United wanted to hold the ball more. It turned out they weren't very good at that. Um, and his instincts are that of a guy who spent almost his entire career at outside back and not in the middle. And it showed his time in the middle wasn't particularly successful. It really helped start the season on a bad note. And uh, when he got moved back to the outside, 
it also wasn't the most successful time of, of of his career, which has been pretty good. He's won some hardware in his time. Ben, Sean Franklin, cake or death? Fox, I think they need to move on from him. Uh, and they have Nick DeLeon, they have Chris Duyachum, Uh And if they need to, they can bring in somebody else. But I think Franklin's not the right fit for what this team wants to do going forward. And just as a note of explainer for anybody who's not a longtime listener or doesn't have an obsessive memory, um, my friends Ben and Jason like to say goat for cake and fox for death because those are obviously equivalent things. I don't get it either. I don't ask questions. Jason, cake or death for Sean Franklin? First of all, you definitely have questioned this the entire time. Uh, I ask many questions, but right uh, now I've just yeah. gotten to acceptance. I, I've got to go with Ben, uh, with Fox on this. Um, Franklin, the la- the this season really didn't go very well for him from start to finish. Um, the center back thing, I'm not going to put that. I, I don't think it's too much his fault because I just don't think it was ever. That was never going to work. I understood the idea behind it. Um I'm glad that there was an attempt to try and help DC United play uh, a little more um, aesthetically pleasing soccer, Um, but it didn't work. And it was kind of clear in the preseason, it wasn't going to work and him being stuck out there, that part of it, it's kind of, it it just, it was never going to happen. His play at right back was okay uh, at times, but there were also, some pretty big errors. The the game against Orlando City that um, pretty much killed the last glimmer of um, insane, like maybe if they win 11 games in a row, they can get into the playoffs, hope. Um, that loss came on two different Sean Franklin errors. Um, I mean, it's not the whole reason they lost the game, but they did give up both goals they conceded on errors involving him. Um, and that, was, that wasn't uh, alone, his play in the Open Cup uh, loss to New England was also the both goals involved him getting. Uh, now I can't even remember which New England player it was, but um, it was it was him getting turned both times by the same player, um, Brian Wright, their rookie forward who barely played otherwise. Um, so it, it was just, I, I think it was one of those situations where maybe he's actually lost a step and it got exposed quite a bit this year. Um, I thought, you know, he did his best that that he could offer for, for DC United. But um, this year, I think it became clear that it's time to move on. The number I first off, I like Sean Franklin a lot. He's been a great player in this league. He's a really cool dude to talk to um, all around. Nice guy. The number of times this season watching a game, I, I said the exact words, man, Sean Franklin is cooked. I, I I lost count of. Um, he I think lost a step is exactly the right way to put it. He 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 couldn't keep up. We saw it at the end of last year when he just kaka walked past him in the open field, and we saw more of that this year, both at center back and at outside back. Um, I love Sean Franklin as as a as a person to cover, but death. Next name on the list, Bill Hamid. We know he's he's gone. He's gone to the Danish league, where hopefully he will be conquering all of Europe um, for for the foreseeable future. But 
he was on the roster at the end of the year. So we have to do cake or death with Bill Hamid. So the way we've done this in the past is, would you have wanted him back for next season? Jason, let's start with you. Cake or death for Bill Hamid. Should we just all say it on three? Sure. Yeah, why not? One, two, three. Go. Count. <laughs> There's not really much more. Bill, of course you want Bill Hamid back. He's the best he's, goalkeeper in MLS. This is. Yeah. Um, he's the best living American goalkeeper, the best keeper in MLS over the last right. several years. Uh, it's. Yeah. Of course you want him back. And. Next, this season is going to be. We're going to find out what it's been like to not have Hamid because even if Steve Clark plays extremely well, um, which he's had very good seasons in the past, he's not Bill Hamid, and we're going to have to live with life without Bill Hamid, uh, which requires playing better soccer all over the field. Yeah, luckily DC United might be in a place to do that. Finally, if if they had, oh man, I'm not even going to get myself into the headspace where they had money to spend on uh, attacking pieces and Bill Hamid behind them. No, I'm not going to let myself do that. Next name on the list, Ian Harks, a uh, homegrown rookie son, of course, of John Harks. Uh, didn't play in the first game of the year and then played for most of the games after that. Um, had an injury late in the year. Couldn't get on the field at the very, very end, at least as a starter. Um, made that number eight position his own as best he could in a pretty bad year for DC United. Ben, what do you give the rookie cake or death? Uh, obviously goat. I think he will benefit the most from this off season. Uh, I think by the end of the season, he was in a little bit of a funk and couldn't figure out how to work best with Russell Knauss. So I think those two together are going to have uh, uh, a good off season, uh, getting to know each other and figuring out how to complement each other uh, the best, but he's an obvious talent. He's obviously, he would have obviously gone in the top three in last year's draft. And I think he's going to be a really good player in MLS. So obvious goat. I, I agree. He's, you got to give him cake. Um, he, especially if the team moves to back to the four, one, four, one that I'm admittedly obsessed with. I think he makes a lot of sense in front of Canaus next to Lucho in that midfield um, because he's more of an attack minded number eight. He does. He is willing to do the work, but his late runs are in, into the box during the attacking phase are at an exceptional level for a young guy um, just coming into the league. And I think that he could score a lot of goals <laughs> in that and his possession game is really good and he can hit a forward pass when he needs to. So give him cake and and as the team evolves into this next iteration, I think it will benefit him a lot. And and I hope that I'm right about that. And not just for pride's sake. Jason. Uh I say goat, um regardless of formation. Um I think it's it's obvious that Harks is a, a very big talent. Um but I do want to note the caveat and I, I noted this in our um, article about Harks on the site. Um, the fact is that DC United gave up a ton of goals with him in games um, and they have to find a way to incorporate an, an attack minded number eight into their system without conceding a bunch of goals. Now, part of that was just the defending behind him was very poor. Um, and for most of the season, 
there wasn't uh, a proper defensive midfielder alongside him. And when there was one, it was already that point in the season when everyone's morale had been beaten to a pulp. Um, so I, I don't know that we got to see what this team looks like with him paired with Canals uh, as the six and the eight um, without the team just being, you know, fragile as, as all hell. Um, but without, you know, so, so we don't know that. Um, but I think, I think he's obviously got to be a starter based on talent level. Um, it's just a matter of can the coaching staff figure out how to incorporate one more talented player into this group? Um, because I think that's, that's maybe the, there was a balance issue there that, that United wasn't able to quite figure out this year. And they've got to figure it out because if you want to be a team that goes forward, um, if you're going to be spending on attacking players, you need to be putting them to use, right? Um, and incorporating Harks into that lineup is important. Um, I don't think they can play a different style without incorporating him, um, but finding a way to do it without being a team that just gets scored on all the time, they've got to sort that, which is more of a coaching issue than a Harks issue. Um, I think on this situation, it's uh, it's clearly GOAT, and you've just got to figure out, um, the, the coaching staff has to figure out how to make it work um, because that's the job is getting talented players to succeed together. Moving on to the next name, Jared Jeffrey, um, a guy who came in kind of as a number six and has ended up more as a less attacking number eight, I guess is the way I would put it. Um, I'm going to say death for for JJ. I, I like him a lot. He His game, when he's on, can be really, really good, but it hasn't been on enough. I haven't seen enough growth from him and he's a guy who has managed to actually get more involved other than his first year with DC United in 2012. He's managed. Has he been around that long? Uh, he was 2013. 2013 or 2013. That's right. So other than his first year in 2013, which is still a, a good long while um, every year, he's managed to kind of claw his way back into more consideration and, and more minutes on on the team and I don't see it happening for him next year. I just, there's too many mistakes in the defensive phase and not enough going forward for me. And I, I want him to keep improving. I just don't know that it's going to be here. So I say death. Yeah. I say uh, Fox as well. And basically it comes down to, I want uh, Chris Durkin to get any and all minutes that Jared Jeffrey could possibly get next season. I'd rather, the team shift formation a little bit then uh, and give those minutes to Durkin. So uh, I think we, we've had this old saying on, on the website and the podcast about the standard and who is the uh, MLS level, uh, the repl- basically the replacement level MLS talent on this team. And I think this year, I think uh, that Jeffrey falls just below uh, that level. Uh Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Ben's on to something by wanting Durkin to get those minutes. Um, the fact is that Jeffrey, by the end of the season, wasn't getting uh, playing time over Harks or over Marcelo Sarvas or over Russell Knaus. Um And it would be one thing if he were a rookie, but he's not. He's been around for a few years now. He should be entering his prime, and he's now um, – I mean, it was pretty I – don't, I don't know that he actually even appeared in the last 10 games – 
Um, I think most of his appearances came at the early part of the, during the early part of the season. Um, when you're looking at a situation where there are three really good 23 and under players in those two roles on the roster, and you're being kept out by a guy in his mid thirties, it's time for you. You, you should want to go because at that point it's like, well, how am I going to get into the team? Um, so I think he should be looking for uh, a move to, uh, to a spot where he could get more time. I think DC United needs to look to move on. Um, yeah, it's not that Jeffrey is necessarily a bad player. It's just that he's caught in the mix um, at a position that they've got a lot of young talent at, and he's not one of those guys. So, you know, for everyone's sake, it should be Fox. Next guy up, Taylor Kemp. Uh, Shooter had a good year as well, I should say as good a year as anyone on the defensive side of the ball, which is not to say a particularly good year because the team was bad at defense. They were bad at attack too. And um, his numbers showed that this year that said for a time this year, we were calling him at least the least bad defender on the team through however many games this year. So Jason, let's start with you this time. Cake or death for shooter. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a capable left back. Um, so goat, um, it wasn't a good year for Kemp. Um, I do suspect that that injury that he ended up needing surgery, I think he might've been playing through it for a while. Um, that's not me leaking anything that I heard from anyone. It's just, I suspect it from afar. Um, and I think that showed, I think also the fact that the team was, uh, such a mess defensively, um, it's hard for a left back to pick that group up and lead them. Um, it's one thing for a center back. Uh, you can do that for a fullback, not so much. Um, and I think that was, that was a negative uh, for sure. Um, that's not necessarily on his head. He definitely could have played better. I don't want to completely, you know, put him, uh, bl- play him as, bl- as blameless here. Um, but, you know, I think he did, not bad. I think least bad defender is probably accurate. Um, but definitely we, we saw something lost in his attacking, the attacking side of his game. He went from two straight six assist seasons to zero assists this year. Um, so yeah, that, that he needs to get back on track. I think this reset button of the season ending is probably going to help him as much as anyone. Um, but, uh, I do also want to see DC United looking for him to be, if it feel at least some challenger, because I think, the roster is comprised right now. He knows that he's the starting left back if he's fit. Um, and that needs to change. There needs to be at least someone there that could feasibly take his spot uh, just to provide the competition for the, the role. Ben. Yeah. It, it, basically exactly what Jason said. Um, there needs to be uh, competition. Uh, ben Olsen teams have performed best when there has been competition at all positions and, they didn't go and get that before 2017, and really, Kemp hasn't had any competition uh, for a while now. Uh, for a while, it was Corb, but Corb got injured, and Kemp, even before then, Kemp had clearly passed Corb. And other than that, the last solid left-back person was Birch? Christian. Who was it? Yeah, Christian. Uh, uh, I barely count him. He wouldn't even hear a full season. I barely count him, but I guess you're right. Um... Yeah, left back has been a problem for United for a while. A while, not a problem, but I mean, it's been a place where Kemp has been good enough, but it could be a place where they excel. But 
there are more places they need to fix first. So Left Kemp is a starter is a in MLS in yes. any league, really. Yeah. And so, I mean, if Kemp is a starter next season, that's not necessarily a problem, but it has to be either with competition for his spot directly or comp- enough competition from the rest of the team that he has to elevate his play to stay with the rest of the members of his team. All right, guys, I'm upgrading this to an official all caps lightning round going forward. Um, we're burning too much time. We're, we're going to have to give short shrift to some of our Twitter box questions. So let's plow through this next name. Eric Klinovsky, uh finished the season as the fourth string goalkeeper behind Bill Hamid, uh, Steve Clark and Travis Wara. Cake or death? Ben. Unfortunate Fox. I agree, but not with that word. I say death. Jason. Uh, I'm inclined to say goat as the third string. Okay. Uh, Next up, Chris Korb. He came back from injury. Feel good story. Um, Tore his ACL a while back, managed to fight back and actually start some games this year, whether we liked it or not at the time. Jason, cake or death for Chris Korb? Uh, I'm going to say Fox. Um, I thought Korb came back and was fine. He was Chris Korb. Um, but I think DC United needs to take a step, especially if they want to be a more attacking team. They need to take a step towards a more attacking player at both right and left back. So Fox. Benjamin. Fox, uh, they need a better person to challenge Kemp and they need a, be- if they need a better person on the other side too. So Fox. He's been great. I, He's been a good servant, but it's time. I love his story. I love his fight. I love what he's done um, to get back into the team. But he's, he's what, 30 now? I believe so. He's not Either a young guy. He's or will be. Yeah, he's not a young guy anymore. He's at least going to be 30 before the season starts, I think, or at some point next year. Um, I just think the team can get younger and and better and get minutes for for younger guys and i wish him all the best going forward uh but i have to give him death that's the problem with cake or death is sometimes you have to give good guys death bruno miranda foxes foxes are much more cuddly are they we're not going to get into the manifestation of death okay comparatively i give you that but that's part of the That's part of the point is that it's supposed to be ruthless. Bruno Miranda, we talked about him earlier. Um, One, I think we're two, all going to three, give him goat cake uh, because, yeah, he's on loan. He's coming back next year, and he should because he's got room to impress. Patrick Mullins is next. Had a very down 2017, possibly more than anyone else, except for a two-game stretch where he scored five goals, four of them in about half an hour at RFK Stadium. Uh, He also scored his first goal outside of RFK Stadium for DC United, so that was a nice monkey to get off his back, even if the monkey really only existed with us and our comment section. Um, Jason, cake or death for Patrick Mullins? Uh, Goat, I I think he's going to figure it out, um, get out of his own head, and have a better season, but he shouldn't... We shouldn't look at him as the out-and-out starter. He should be a guy who plays a lot, but not necessarily being the starter. Completely agree, word for word, except for the goat part. I say cake. Ben? Yeah, goat, uh, He's they're, they're going to have to bring in somebody to challenge him, and not just Bruno Miranda, and I hope it makes him better, and I hope 
if he's starting, that means he has clawed it back and he's probably playing very well. So go. Right. I would, I would change the phrasing of that. Not someone to challenge him, someone for him to challenge. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should be in a place where he's the incumbent starter, especially after his year this year. I think he's got to uh, prove something else. Last name on cake or death this week. Good job with the lightning round guys, Patrick Niarco. Um, Absolutely vital part of DC United's attack in the in in, in 2016, and uh, when he was able to get on the field this year, which unfortunately wasn't enough because of a couple of concussions, um, the last of which kept him out from July onward. Um, this is this is actually a pretty tough one to for me to to say because he was such a vital player and by all accounts a really good dude. Um, but I don't know that he's got a place back with DC United, especially if he's not a thousand percent healthy. Um, he he showed him like he's he's prone to concussions, and that's not a, a good place for a soccer player to be professionally or personally. I'm not going to substitute my judgment for his on whether he should continue playing, but I, I don't think DC United should bring him back next year. And that's hard for me to say. So death Ben. Um, I mean, it's his choice. I don't think any of us have the ability to, uh, to make a choice for him and to uh, get between him and his doctors. And it, it, it's the doctor's call. And so I'm not going to, I'm, I'm consciously taking out any, uh, thoughts of, of of talking about any medical things because I don't believe that's any of our uh, responsibility or abilities. But I am going to say Fox because while he is a good player, I think that they need to upgrade that position and beyond the concussions, it's other knocks too. And so I think they just need to upgrade that position, get younger, and he's not going to get We've already seen his ceiling, so it's time to move on and get a younger player who can uh, perhaps uh, bloom into something more. Jason, uh, I'm going to say uh, if his if he wants to come back, if he wants to carry on playing, um, if he's got a clean bill of health, uh, then I'm going to say goat. Uh, I think that when he was available. Uh, he was clear far and away the best attacking player on the team. And when he was unavailable, the team was obviously worse. Um, and I also really like the idea of having, uh, a speed option to back Paul Areola up, um, and have, you know, someone that's a little more like Zoltan Stieber to back him up. Um, right now DC doesn't really have a good speed option. Um, if, if Niarco ends up hanging up his boots or moving on, um, they don't have that player, and I think they could do an awful lot worse than keeping him around. But at the same time, I don't have my hopes up that he's going to carry on playing because he's had X number of concussions, I think it's six or seven, um, and this one has lasted so long that at a certain point, um, you just start you start to suspect that it's not going to work. Um, but I don't know anything about his medical situation, and if he can come back, that would be awesome. Uh, if he wants to come back, that would be awesome. Um but uh, am I optimistic that he's going to come back? No, but I think that if he does, DC should retain him. So go. 
that's it for that part of the segment. We are now moving into a, a bigger Twitter box than we've had in a while. So this is also going to be kind of a semi-lightning round. Uh, first question comes from Don, who's at SMC Ultra on Twitter. He wants to know DC United players as Thanksgiving food items. Like I said, this is a hard turn. Um, so think for a second. One DC United as a uh, as a Thanksgiving food item. I'll, I'll I'll start. I'll go with Paul Ariola as the dressing, the stuffing. Hardest working player on the field carries more than his fair share of the weight. Dressing, and it, dressing or stuffing. Functionally on the functionally on the table, they're the same thing. The difference is how you cook them, whether it's inside the bird when you cook it and you're we all know exposing this. You're, your you're, you're delaying. Whether you're exposing your guests to to salmonella or or not. I say they're functionally the same thing, and so I will refuse your question. But okay, Paul Ariola so is that guy. Is it is pro, pro salmonella. I didn't say that, but sure. Uh, give me all the bacteria. <laughs> Uh, Paul Ariola, stuffing is the hardest working uh, item on the table during Thanksgiving, and that's Paul Ariola. It's also a really good part of the the spread, just like Paul Ariola. Ben? Uh, I'm going to go for Lucho Acosta. I think he's the turkey. I think both in size and in centrality to the team. It's the main course. It's the... uh, It's... The, the 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 main event and it's about fifteen that, pounds. It's about it's about fifteen pounds. It's uh, about uh, it's it's less than five feet long. Uh, even with its waddle, I don't know what the waddle is. Don't ask me. Um, and yeah, without it, you don't have a Thanksgiving dinner. So, and without Lucho, even with the addition of Paul Ariola and Zoltan Stieber, without Lucho, you still don't have a coherent team. So I'm going Lucho Turkey. Uh, I think um, I'm going to go with Nick DeLeon as the mashed potatoes. Um, He is an essential part of the meal and yet maybe doesn't get appreciated as much as he should. Uh, but if you serve Thanksgiving dinner and there's no mashed potatoes on the table, people will be like, Hey, where the hell is the mashed potatoes? I am nodding um, so vigorously right now. And I, and I, and I think, I think Nikki is the, is that kind of, and a, and versatile as well. I mean, you might get your, uh, you're a picky eater who doesn't want to eat very many things, but they're, they're, they're going to be fine with mashed potatoes pretty much. I don't know anyone that dislikes mashed potatoes. If you do don't contact us, we don't need to know that, but you can nod to yourself. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Nick DeLeon mashed potatoes uh, underrated, uh, underappreciated, and maybe looms larger in his absence. And better with horseradish. I, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think that's a thing for DeLeon, at least. Either way, great question from Don. Next question is kind of related from Scott Kubarik on on Twitter: white meat or dark, and food separated or total delicious mis- mismatch. Um, Dark meat and mismatch. Come on. Uh, dark meat and semi mishmash, but I do put foods in like their separate uh, sections of the plate, and then put the turkey in the middle, and then put gravy on most things. Uh, dark meat, obviously. Um, and then uh, what I like to do is is I put everything down in separate spots, but then I'm like mixing things up, so I might take a bite of 
maybe three things on my fork in one bite and the next bite, maybe only two. Um, I like to make it up as I go. It's a pick your own adventure. Yeah. There, there's a subset of things at least that, that have to be a mismatch on my plate. Uh, the Turkey, the mashed potatoes, the stuffing slash dressing and, um, the cranberry sauce and gravy. They all have to be together and, and just whatever the fork picks up, the fork picks up. Uh, but those are all kind of one dish on my plate as far as I'm concerned. Uh, next question from Michael Alvarez, who I have to find his tweet now. Uh, actually related to DC United, he is at underscore a Michael 85 on Twitter. Will Ben Olsen have more pressure or expectations for results this year with the new stadium? Or should we spe- expect more of the same DC United of late? Great show. So number one, thank you, Michael, for the kind words. Um, I'm inclined to say uh, more pressure is definitely a going lot to be more pressure, a lot more pressure. The team is going to spend. Uh, we'll, we'll see if they actually spend this off season. If they don't, then there'll be more pressure on Dave Casper in the front office than there has been since they bought the team. Uh, but Ben Olsen, especially after this road trip to start the year, um, once the second half of the season comes around and they're playing at Audi field and we're actually seeing them on buzzard point, I think there's going to be a lot, a lot more pressure and the expectations have to be making the playoffs. Kansas city made the playoffs with a good seed after a long road trip. Toronto did it twice after long road trips. Um, yeah, it won't be trip. a, it won't be a mid season firing if he's doing badly, but there's definitely a chance if he, depending on how it goes, that it could be a, end of the season firing if it goes really badly or even late season like it could happen before the end of the year if the team isn't performing at Audi Field could be I mean my 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 take on this is that everyone involved at DC United is under more pressure than they ever have been uh in the last seven eight years um that's the consequence of moving to a new building of, I mean, it's kind of a reset button. I'm glad they didn't rebrand like some of the other teams that have done this uh, opted to do. Um, But as far as reintroducing yourself to the broader sporting public um, and, and, you know, boosting the relationship with the fans, this is not the uh, premier relationship between fans and club in MLS. Um, It's not the bottom. We know the bottom is now Columbus uh, because of their ownership's uh, negative intentions. Um, but uh, no, th- everyone there has to be better. Um, and that includes Ben Olsen. And I'm sure he would be the first to tell you. Um, it includes Dave Casper. He would also be very quick to say like, yeah, of course I'm under more pressure. Um, the spending in the last transfer window was a big indicator that now, I mean, but before when there was no spending, it's like, okay, you're going to do the best you can with the guys you can get. Uh, with no money. Um, but once that money is there, of course, there's more pressure. Um, and of course, uh, with the new building, there's going to be more pressure. Um, the daunting reality of that road trip adds a new element of of pressure. Um, the margins that have been there in the past aren't there anymore. And I I know there are some fans who think that the 2013 season, both, both Olsen and Casper are getting to stay on at that point, means that there's never going to be pressure. I don't agree. I think that that year was their one get out of jail free card. And it was because of the reality of what the team, the, what the roster was in 2013. Um, I think this year, if, if they're not successful, uh, if, if they have another season where the team struggles, I don't think they're going to stick around. 
Um, and that's, you know, that comes with the reality of having a team that can actually spend, that can actually afford to compete uh, on players. Next question from RP Kirkland, who's at RPK2 at KU. Sorry, I just dropped my pen while reading that. Uh, there are a lot of letters. My hand stopped working. Hit me with that all flop DC United 11. This is something that might actually require some uh, forethought. So, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, well, we're not doing 11. We're not doing 11. Just start naming biggest flops in team history that you can think of. Who would you consider? Danny Allsop. Allsop. Oh, yeah. Even though I, I feel like he was a flop as soon as he was announced. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, w- if that's possible. Would you consider um, Marcelo Gallardo a flop? He was really good for about five yes, minutes yes. when he was on. He is maybe the most significant, maybe not the biggest in terms of reputation at this point, but I would argue the most significant flop because DC United spent a solid five years recovering from the 2008 offseason or the offseason that turned into the 2008 season. Yeah, he did have one really spectacular goal. He had one spectacular month. Yeah. Um, and then he got hurt and was never good again. Yeah. Um, Christian Castillo. Castillo's got to be yeah. on there. Yeah. Castillo's a good one. Um, Juan Berthi Suarez, uh, who was the predecessor to Jaime Moreno. Um, he was supposed to be the other source of goals on that team with Raul Diaz Arce and uh, was let go very quickly uh, and thankfully replaced with Moreno, who was much better. Um, but yeah, he was initially like a starter for Bolivia and he was supposed to be a pretty big deal and he just was not up for the challenge. Uh, there was another uh, Bolivian, this one on the defensive side, um, Pena. Juan Manuel Pena? Yeah, Juan Manuel Pena. Oh. He was 37 on arrival, yeah. but yeah. apparently is now helping the team as far as uh, his connections in Latin America. He's Oh, that's great. Ben Olsen's relationship with him is how Bruno Miranda came around. He, He's Miranda's agent. Oh, wow. He also had possibly the best offseason of any 37-year-old, or the best preseason of any 37-year-old in D.C. United history. And then once the season started, remembered he was 37 year old, years old. Any goalkeepers that you guys want to put on the all-flop list? Can we, can we distinguish uh, Troy Perkins Part 2 from Troy Perkins Part 1? I see no reason why we can't do that, Jason. <laughs> I don't know that he was actually a biggest flop, though. He was just sort of not. They paid a lot of money. To, or we're not a lot of money, but they gave up a lot to get him back in 2010. Yeah, that's true. But I don't, I don't know. I didn't feel like he was a flop. It was just a disappointment rather than an outright flop. But he's not a Allsop, uh, Gallardo, Juan Bertley Suarez level flop. Well, you don't um, get as many opportunities for that kind of flop at the goalkeeping position. There's okay, but we're talking about like top we're talking about like top 11, right? Yeah, so who's um, the biggest goalkeeping flop? Or are you doing 11 as in 11 players, not just a list of 11? Right, yeah, I want I want a lineup. Oh, well, well that's much more That's much more common. Yeah, we we can't figure that out today. We don't have time for that. No, that's why that's why I just wanted a goalkeeper. We we have we have midfielders, we have attackers, we, we have a defender. Okay. I just want a goalkeeper on my those. my position is that there isn't really a good candidate. We're going to go with Perkins. That's the official right. two out of three. That's the official position. Uh, next tweet comes from John Lee, who is at JT Lee zero three on Twitter. Uh, we all know how the crew saga will probably play out and how it should play out. But are there any realistic options that could actually hashtag save the crew? Um, this is tough. We don't have any insider information. 
on this. Um, but the general perception I've seen from people paying attention is this is a done deal and it sucks. Uh, yeah. Uh, a realistic plan that, that saves the crew and keeps them in Columbus involves MLS taking back many actions that they've taken, that they're complicit in this whole thing and deciding that they were wrong and saying, you can't do this. You can't end around the expansion process uh, to move to Austin. Um, we're taking it back and then being stuck in court for many, many years um, while that gets sorted out. Uh, there isn't really, or other than or maybe Andrew Precourt just has like a, a Grinch style awakening one day and his heart grows uh, three times the size and decides not to move um, or to do it the proper way um, by, you know, selling the crew to, Columbus or people that want to keep it in Columbus and then getting in the expansion line like everybody else did. Um, but we don't, we know that's not going to happen uh, because if he were built like that, he wouldn't have gone about doing things the way he's done. So right. Far. I mean, this is late stage capitalism coming to MLS like it has come to uh, sports leagues around the world and the United States in particular. And it's, we're being jarred from our, we had 22 years of, being under the radar, and while that uh, sucked in some regards for the stability of the league and the profitability of the league and the ability of the league to attract star talent, now that we're moving past that, we get a whole host of new problems, and they're just they suck just as much, and now they're just different sucky problems. Yeah, we could go on and on about this. Uh, I I know business leaders in Columbus have uh, shot out some half-baked plans to try to, to keep the crew in, in Ohio. Um, there've been less half-baked plans to buy half of the team for, from pre-court for a pretty generous valuation from the numbers I read. And, and he refused, he, he wants to move the team and the league apparently is uh, unwilling to stop him from doing so. And it's terrible. And I, I know the fans in Cincinnati who've made FC Cincinnati such a, a in you know unquestionable success in USL um, don't deserve any blame and shouldn't carry any blame. But MLS is basically going to lean on them to say Ohio still has a team, and it is not the fault of anyone except MLS and Anthony Precourt, and it sucks. Save the crew. Yep. Next question from our, our friend Dave Clark, who uh, we, we tried to have on a couple weeks ago, and he was very generous with his time, and we couldn't make the technology work. He's at Bettier than, uh, B-E-D-I-R-T-H-A-N, on Twitter. He runs Sounder at Heart uh, on SB Nation. He asks, what's the best part about rooting for the Sounders this postseason? I wouldn't know. Would either of you guys know? <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I would I would say that the best thing about rooting for the Sounders, I'm imagining what that is like. Is having uh, invented MLS. <laughs> I was going to say, your team is still playing competitive soccer and might win something. Um, that is pretty good compared to our reality in which our team hasn't been playing for a long time and has no chance of winning anything this year. Uh, there was one more question that I saw from 
RJ Allen, who's Captain Woso on Twitter, but I, I lost it. I, Are uh, you enjoying the spirit not being the team with the most drama this offseason? Yeah, that was it. That was the question. Yes. Yeah, I just um, read it. And yes, uh, for our listeners that don't follow the NWSL, there's been uh, FC Kansas City is no more. Uh, they are now as yet unnamed Real Salt Lake team. Uh, by the time you hear this, they may be named. If you listen to this a, a day or so after we put it out, they'll have a name by then. Um, on top of that, uh, Laura Harvey was coaching the Seattle Reign, took a job with U.S. Soccer that was unspecified, uh, and then ended up being hired to coach this new RSL-affiliated team. All in the span of about, what, uh, two weeks? Maybe three? Uh, maybe a month. Um, at, at but it has most. to raise questions um, about what's happening in, in Seattle. Well, I would say it has to raise questions about what's happening in U.S. soccer because they had a golden opportunity to improve the women's national team and missed it. But that's because U.S. soccer is probably the soccer house is probably literally on fire as we're saying this. Um, But in the meantime, uh, FC Kansas City's former coach, while Laura Harvey had left, had taken over the head coaching position at the Seattle Reign. So now those two have essentially switched rosters because the FC Kansas City roster is now in Utah. Um, which is an utterly bizarre sequence of events. There's also um, significant questions over the future of the Boston Breakers, at least in the short term. Um, the Spirit, meanwhile, have just – it's been an extremely quiet offseason so far. Nothing has really happened. Which is good. They're, yeah. Uh, given given the massive instability throughout American soccer right now at all levels, uh, a quiet offseason in which you just don't have anything to talk about, is, you have to take that as a good and one. what happened last offseason – going to exist last yeah um it means your team is probably going to exist next season and right now it seems like that's as much as you can expect uh, out of your team and be happy about is uh just keep the lights on for one more year please that's bleak yep 2017 not good we had bleak, such a, a good bleak. optimistic show and no damn it this year just keeps coming back you chose. I told you, you chose, guys it's important to be honest. You chose the order of the questions, Adam. Yeah, I meant to get to his earlier, and I couldn't find it on Hers. Twitter for some reason. So it ended up getting pushed to the end. And yeah, that's on me. I apologize, everyone. Yep. That happens a lot on this show. <laughs> and it's entirely my own fault. Thank you all for listening to what was, I think, a pretty fun episode until that last bleak little bit. Uh, find us on blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. We're also on Patreon where you can support us financially. Um, Patreon.com slash filibuster. If you're interested in doing that, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, the Internet Archive, wherever quality and less quality podcasts are purveyed offered downloaded anyway please tell a friend about the show uh that's the best way to help us out and and spread what it is we're trying to do i'm not sure what it is but please spread it i'm gonna end this rant um i i'm adam for for jason and ben i want to say thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you real soon Say goodbye, Jason. Thanksgiving sandwich is the best meal of all time. You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. Say walk right in, it's around the back. Just a half a mile from the railroad track. And you can 
you are.